check. start huh wow friends and wow not friends you know what if you're not my friend yet you're my future friend I'm happy to have you my name's Todd Bluebaugh and you're listening to the Blue Toddcast broadcast from Earth I don't know what planet you're on I don't even know if you're on a planet maybe you're between planets outer space I don't know how far this podcast gets, but you're in for a treat. Because here, we talk about motorcycles, and we talk about adventure, and travel, and everything else. And if you're tuning in today for any of that, you're in luck, because you're getting all of it. My guest today, his name is Randy Hayward, but a lot of you know him as Detroit. And if you're into the Antique Motorcycle Show, I'm sorry... That is his show. If you're into Trog, you definitely know who Randy is because you see him out there racing on his 100-year-old motorcycles. I was lucky to get an interview in with Randy because he was here in California and I noticed that and I reached out and I said, Randy, you're closer than you've ever been to the desert. Get out here and let's sit down and let's talk and then let's go ride bikes and that's exactly what we did. And we're very, I'm very lucky that we squeeze that in. So I can't really call this a full episode. This is more of a, this is an interview. This is a pop-up interview because it just popped up. And yeah, so the next episode is coming with Josh Kahn, but I'm still editing it. We're going to slip this one in, in between. And I think I might start doing that with interviews here at the Blue Toddcast because the videos take a long time. They take me a long time and this will speed things up. So when I can shoot an interview or when I can record an interview without shooting, it will be an interview. When I do an interview and an edit, it's an episode. So look, we just figured that out together. That's great. But I am very excited for you guys to meet Randy. I don't even know where to start with a guy like this. He's so complex there are so many layers and I was just kind of getting familiar with a few of them I hadn't heard about yet but man if you ask Randy about himself he'd tell you he's a father he's a husband he's a friend he'd tell you about his motorcycles call himself a scooter bum he'd tell you about his show the damn show Detroit Antique Motorcycle Show if you get an invitation to that show you're a lucky person because he has exquisite taste And I will see you guys at the next one of those. He also has a museum, the Traveling Black History Museum, where Randy goes around the world looking for artifacts from slavery, brings them back, and travels around to schools and institutions. Anyone who wants to participate puts them in the hands of children and tells them about the history of slavery. And it's powerful, man. I've held some of these things. He's on to something there. We talk more about that in the interview. But... Yeah, Randy, Randy's a dreamer, man. He's a cosmic traveler. He's an educator, above all. That's because, well, here's, here's what I learned that was new, okay? I'm trying to describe this man. I knew he was from Detroit. I knew he was born and raised in Detroit. But then I didn't know, he went on to the Air Force. 
put his time into the Air Force, and then he wanted to get his education. It was important to him. He was motivated. He went to Harvard. He got multiple degrees, followed that up with his doctorate in education, and then went on to be a superintendent. And he's just been an educator and a mentor to children. He's a mentor to more than children. He's a mentor to me. And I'm very lucky that I got to sit down and talk with him. He has a beautiful family. I've met them. They took us in when we were in Detroit, fed us, let us stay at their house. We shot with them, got to know them a little bit, moved on down the road, but stayed in touch. I'm just very happy to have Randy here. There's no way I could do any justice in introducing a man like this, but let's just get to the interview so you can get to know him too, okay? So ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. Here comes Detroit. Yeah. Check, check. Give me a... Give me a... I take checks. <laughs> check, cash. Can you hear? Can you hear okay? I can. Okay. Hold on one second. I'll adjust the levels. Check, check. Check. Check, check. All right, I think we're good. And if I'm talking too low, let me know. I, I like to think it's when I was cool, but it probably had more to do with my insecurities. With whispering in life. Soft-spoken? Yeah. No, man, you sound profound. Well, I'm going to get even lower. <laughs> <laughs> you sound good. I'm so excited that you stopped by. I, I'm i just thrilled that it worked out. Yeah. You know, the invitation it was extended over a year ago. And so I'm like, hey, and, and when the wife say people are good people, then you got to know that they're good people. So I already know you're good people. But the wife was like, man, he's cool. A year ago, I would have never, I mean, it's been a year. I'm still peeling back the layers. You have lived so many lives. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm so thrilled we can, like, just start right now and hear a few things because you're up to so much. Yeah, you know, as I said earlier, we're on this, little rock, right, flying through the cosmos and all this uh, debris, you know, uh, trying to make uh, a difference on the square that we stand on. You know, I always tell people, figure out the square you stand on and make it important. And that means I get to reinvent myself. Every moment you live, you get to reinvent yourself, and not for the purpose of just being that being the stick right oh being bit but no really looking at the moment you're in and so yeah i get to change up and and you know i i used to tell people <laughs> based on my life I mean, the things i've done i'm now capable of going from white castle to the white house <laughs> in the drop of a hat right so, <laughs> so if i gotta you know be on uh in detroit on mac and bwick or or at my old high school, that's no longer high school, McKenzie, you know, I can hold my own. But at the same time, I'm capable of sitting in any room with any world leaders. And Have you ever thought about yeah. going into politics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, because you got yeah, my vote. Yeah, well, here's the deal. You know, Todd, my Secretary of Defense. <laughs> <laughs> I will defend. Uh, listen, you, see, you'll be a leader, right? Because you'll keep all the weaponry going, and the weaponry is motorcycles. That's right. So I used to tell people, I would go into politics. The only way I would go into politics is if my whole cabinet can be motorcyclists, right? Because there's a sense of care and camaraderie that we have that I don't often see. I served eight years in the Air Force. Yeah, it was tight. 
Uh, I've played with muscle cars, yeah, that whole culture, but bikes, I mean, come on. So when talking about politics, I know it's not going to be a coup, you know, <laughs> they're going to be with me, you yeah. know. And so I thought about it, and where it changed, I was actually buying, I was out making a deal on a 29 Harley DL. Ran into some people I had. The deal fell apart a year prior. Ran into them again in Indiana. They saw me working on a mini bike, a scooter. And they was like, Detroit. Like, what's up? And he said, I want you to meet my dad. He has this bike. And uh, the bike I told you about. So his dad said, I don't want to hear about that bike. You know, I'm a VIP here. Now, it didn't look like he had two nickels to rub together. And yes, he was a VIP. And so we're there and talking. And then he said something and I commented about something. He said, oh, where did you go to school? And I told him, and I was like, whoa. So he said, I can build a machine around you. You know, I said, no, sir, I don't do politics. As a matter of fact, I don't, I don't want to talk politics or religion while I'm eating your food. Mm. Uh, mother taught me, you know, it's not going to turn out good and I'm eating on your dime, so I'm going to be respectful. So it did turn ugly for a second, but I stayed respectful. And because of that, he said, uh, you know what? Uh, he turned to his son and said, I like this guy. And he dropped $7,000 off the purchase of that bike. So I, I bought the bike. But it started me to thinking about, man, this guy, Phil, I don't know him. He felt like going to politics. So I did some inquiries and, and had somebody hook me up with somebody who was pretty connected in the city in Detroit. And uh, I walked in, I guess, with my Detroit swag. And the cat was looking like, yeah, right, this guy? And I just, you know, talked about life and my philosophy. So he called that person was like, yeah, tell him we're ready. We're down. We could we can do some things with him. And matter of fact, uh, we want him to establish a foundation or some organization and we'll make a deposit uh, right away. How long ago was you that? Uh, about seven years. Okay. And I said, what? They said, yeah, they're going to give you $50,000. I said, nah, I can't play in this arena. You know, this is how this works. You don't even know me. You're going to give me 50000 So it was, they were, you know, going to, you know, buy favors. And I said, this is how this works. However, let me tell you this, bro. If they would have said we got original paint, 36 nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like I'm assigned the water deal. I'm giving away the power right. You know, think Texas went dark look. <laughs> be like, you go like, where you get that knucklehead? You gotta uh, have your priorities straight. Listen, you know, no, I can't say the kids, but I can say these bikes. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> and that was, I mean, what layer do you start with first? The, the, administration and school or uh, air force i guess well really it started with my parents just well, well hang on hang on they got something there though you are so qualified for a position like this and there are so many people who are poor leaders who are yeah unqualified that's yeah. leaders everything leadership is everything yeah i mean it's everything i I always tell folks, I'm, I'm not trying to pick a side, even though I do. Uh, neutrality is dangerous. Pick a side. Yeah. You know, I tell when folks, say, oh, I'm neutral, then get away from me. Yeah. Because you'll be the one to sell me down the river. Right? Is neutral and, and center, is that different or is the same thing? Center is different than neutral. Okay. Center is 
trying to bridge because uh, we somehow compromise has become a bad word. So center is that person that is that negotiator. I did. Uh, yeah, I have led a lot of lives. I'm like the black Forrest Gump. So <laughs> I did. Uh, I was I was taking this program dispute resolution. So I served as a uh, uh, person, person who helped do resolutions. I used to tell them in the courts, I'm not a lawyer. My sim- I'm simply here to engage at this conversation right and I've had some 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 doozies you know and I thought I was I, I did think I in was in Detroit or bet no this was Boston oh okay know. okay I was like uh Thurgood Marshall you know for those who don't know him a great civil rights lawyer and then I was Johnny Cochran you know for those who are more modern right and so um I knew what center meant in that regard uh the, the great play that's circulating the world, Hamilton, um, that's one of the huge debates about Burr. He tried to maintain a position of neutrality so that um, he could be fluid to either side, which is, that's not good. So you, you have no values, no foundation. Uh, I, think it's, it, it, I think it was Dante, great philosopher, who said, and, and I may, have, may get the quote wrong, but he basically said, uh, in a moment of moral crisis, those who, the hottest places in hell is reserved for those in in a moment of moral crisis who maintain that neutrality. You know, pick side. You know, otherwise, ultimately, you're just passive. That's it. That's yeah. it. And then pa- passivity in the sense of. You know, the hippie scene is cool. You know, I'm just, no, nah, I'm not going to fight you. That's yeah. one thing. But what the passive that, yes, you speak of is just like, I'm just going to go with the flow. And uh, I used to tell people, don't be a popsicle stick. So when I was growing up in Detroit, we had a bunch of money. I think we did. I just didn't think my parents told me. And it made me believe we were poor. But <laughs> we used to uh, get these popsicle sticks. We finished the popsicle. And they would still have sticky serve from the popsicle. Then we put it near an anthill, right? And the ants would get on it. And if somebody was washing their car, and we usually did it this day, then we put the popsicle near the curve and see whose popsicle was going to win getting to the sewer. Yeah, I killed a few ants. Please, <laughs> Peter, folks, don't come looking for me. The, the ants sacrificed. They were in a race. <laughs> so, Hakuna so, Matata. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So it is starting... Um, with a foundation of qualification. So yeah, I got enough paperwork. Uh I'm a I'm people who know me and people who knew me growing up uh is one thing if we ride choppers and and hang out and race on the beach and and, and hit the bank track and New Smyrna it's like cool and then some people see my resume and go, "What?" <laughs> no, 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 this is not the same guy. No, no, no. This guy who sounds country, but yet is from Detroit, that is not his resume. We need yeah. people with surprises now, man. Yeah. It's just gotten so out of hand. Yeah. We need we need bikers. Yeah, we need bikers. We need that unification. I don't, And I can't explain why. Maybe it's just because we're so vulnerable out there when we're on a motorcycle. Yeah, that's good. But it's bridged. It, it's shaped my entire life. Yeah, you you can we can stop here because that's that might have answered the Zen <laughs> question. Uh, yeah, everybody, I've been asking it. Why are we? But you, that's it. That vulnerability, that sense of knowing that any moment that link can come off that chain, that uh, 
bell can snap if I'm running the primary bell system. Uh, uh, you know, hopefully the bearings don't go in the neck and <laughs> freeze up. But that you're right, that sense of vulnerability and knowing that you're still willing to get out there and then the person who's passing you in the other direction, that other biker, is knowing the same thing. Yeah. Right? And so I remember uh, breaking down once in an area outside of Detroit that probably wasn't too favorable to folks who look like me from outside of <laughs> Detroit, right? And uh, it looked like I was broke down. I wasn't, you know. Somehow we done got married to this technology. So instead of knowing where I was going, I was pulling over to look at my GPS. The old and days. The old days. And uh, this car whipped around. And so all the stuff that the street, streets taught me, you know, hairs on the back of my head, let me, let me be ready. And they were like, you good, bruh? Like I'm good, I'm good. It's like, hey, we saw on the side road. You, you, no mechanical problems. No, no, no. I'm just, uh, hey, I'm just, I'm just uh, trying to see where I'm going. All right, and that was cool. Even though I didn't have the universal biker sign of helmet behind a rear wheel that says I'm, I'm in need of repair, they still wasn't going to take a chance that I was in need of repair and pass me by. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's yeah. powerful, man. Yeah. And we were talking about it earlier, but like the helmet that language that we pick up along the way it speaks louder than words sometimes oh oh man it's it's such uh it's i mean you know is i used to travel around uh, and become an educator i realized how you know i love america wouldn't trade it for anything right but i realized how, how our narrow views can be right and so it used to be this joke, you know, um, what do you call somebody that can speak three languages, trilingual, two languages, bilingual, one language, American, right? <laughs> and so I always tell people, get out in the world. So I always felt a disservice to myself by not speaking a second language. But you're right, we all speak in second language. If you're a painter, you know all the lexicons, the, the, the words that go with that. And as bikers, we do, you know, if you're, Ask somebody, where do you run in a three or four, you know, ratchet, shift, uh, is it standard rake, is it, you know. And these are, know. those are languages we we verbally speak. There's also a language of the motor. It talks to you. Oh, yeah. And that sensitivity and, like, when you, when you hear someone's bike and you see them listening and, like, moving around it, you can almost know what's going through their head. You yeah. know, there's not a word being spoken. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, they're checking the, you know, they're checking the mixture and yeah. doing all the things. And and it's crazy. I mean, I used to watch guys rub oil between their fingers. I'm like, I don't still didn't know what they're doing. I I do it now, like just to look cool. <laughs> yeah, they put it in the back of my ear so I have some cologne. No, I don't. I don't do that. <laughs> Maybe that's why the muscle guys are following me, not the ladies. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so. <laughs> Man, he smells yeah. good. Yeah, that's right. What you wearing? Ten fifty or twenty twenty? <laughs> so, so uh, but it it is. It, it's it's watching those folks. It's knowing there were cats like Arlen Ness that you know. As soon as you see it, uh, you know it was a Ness bike, right? Yeah. And you just knew that he put his thing in it, or. Uh, Pee-wee uh, of the Defiant Ones running a nine-second 
Sportster in 1973. You know, those are the cats who can lay their hand on the bike while it's running and tell you if it's running well, you know, or, or, or watching a guy ride down the street with his arm stretched out on a chopper and it's not flopping and then you go, oh, that must be a bare front end. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a language. So you, you, someone else may say, oh, that guy's riding with no hands. While the other person's going, that guy's riding a bear. That's why he's riding like that with no hands. You know, all the choppers I have, you better not take your hands off the handlebars. The <laughs> you flop. Know, the flop will get you. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll cash in my cans and save my nickels and get a bear funny in one day. But I mean, yeah, it's a historical was, purchase. Yeah. You get is. one of those. I mean, you don't know how many more there are going to be. That's right. So when you talk about... Um, like I said, I'm this anomaly, this strange kid. So I'm like street and a nerd at the same time. I'll, I'll give you a rose and tell you the world is great, and I punch you in your chops if you <laughs> if you say something <laughs> crazy or racist to me, you know. And so uh, when you start talking about um, uh, me being this nerd, this artist guy, so when I start talking about Michelangelo and Picasso's a Romier beer painting, so when you see a Romier you you know you got a work of art, right? And what's crazy, you know that Romare touched that. He painted it, you know. Uh, I went to the Sistine Chapel, you know. See, this nerd, right? So stood in line for two hours to go in the Sistine Chapel. I was like, what am I doing? You know, my boy's from Detroit going to be like, this cat is <laughs> out here. Stand in line to go into a doggone art mu- uh, museum. So I'm looking up at the ceiling and I'm going, man, this guy laid on his back and painted this. So when you get a Michelangelo, it's like, wow. So for us bikers to know that Sugar Bear touched those forks that's got your bike riding, forget the swag, get forget the look. Let's talk about the functionality. We always talk about, yeah, it got those those kick up those rockers so yeah you know and what bear is 81 that's crazy and he's still making no he's not i, I want to go on record because <laughs> i gotta get in line no he's still making forks i mean um i talked to him two weeks ago and i'm not saying that to be braggadocious as if bear and i are super cool but yes i've had the pleasure of talking to him and i may mention about a particular fork uh, that a friend has, uh, 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 Kevin Teach Bass, right? And he's running these forks on this knucklehead that he had his students build called Zeus. So I was like, Bear, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and get some measurements, and I would love to get some short forks. And then from that, Bear started telling me all his history. He said, yeah, I'm known for long forks if it, Ain't long is wrong, but no, I I made plenty of short forks. I thought that was a one-off, and so to know that I can get that piece of art, I mean, we are curators of art. These motorcycles are art; they're functioning art. They're know? gonna outlive us too. Oh yeah, yeah. This one to yeah. think about is like not even necessarily the collection you have, but the bike that you ride is as recognizable as you are. Yeah, yeah. It's an extension of you. That's right. So, you know, what you choose to put on there is sugar 
front end or a, you know an Arlen Ness frame, whatever. That's those are the decisions you make to express yourself. Yeah, and that's gonna live on for a long time. Yeah, when you when you think about, um, I'm trying to flip my script because my bikes were clean, right? And they're like, oh, why are you got this bike in this, you know, salt-laden sand on the beach? That's a rare 1929 DL. And people were taking pictures, it's clean. So I did some riding with some friends in California. And it's like, man, you can scratch this. You don't have to worry about that. So now I'm flipping to what I call my dirty dozen. I'm doing six bikes so I can have six riders. If they show up to my house, they can ride. So will I lose the signature of, you know, Detroit just rode with clean bikes or it's just, just the evolution of an artist, right? And so, and not losing that, as you said, signature, but just he's extending, he's moving into his impressionist period. See, I keep telling yeah. you, that, that, yeah, nerd, th- right, that nerd man. thing keeps jumping out. You know? You're going to go into cubism, you'll just keep moving down the line. Yeah, you can stop there because I don't know anything past cubism or <laughs> impressionism. Watercolors, wait, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what came, yeah, I guess impressionism came before cubism, yeah. but it it's true and wh- the way you know it's got strength and it's relative is the cultures that evolve around it. Yeah. Just go to Born Free or go to, you know, your own motorcycle show. You have a show. Yeah. You have an art show. Yeah, that's it. So you're the first person to say that without me saying that, right? Um, Someone asked me, well, how will my bike be judged? Your bike won't be judged, you know. What do you mean the bike won't be judged? Your bike won't be judged. It is being selected to be displayed. You know, this is our, um, is that a helicopter? That's a helicopter. I should start running, right? Yeah. So, so, <laughs> we so both the, should. So the black ops has finally caught up with. There's, there's a military base <laughs> over in the desert over there, and they do training drills sometimes. Okay, listen, if you hear me yelling, retreat, <laughs> kick over the pan heads, we out, baby. We <laughs> to the chopper. Right. No, not that the chopper. chopper. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we... Uh, we, my wife and I, we were on the motorcycle set, and uh, what most people don't know, I used to ask to be in people's show. No, no, you know. And somebody told me last year, man, we, we're glad you're on the set. I've been around for decades. I've been playing with cars and bikes for a long time. It's like Bruno Mars, you know. Bruno Mars showed up on the scene, and they were like, wow, this guy can blow. He's been singing since he was two, you know. <laughs> Didn't so, happen overnight. Yeah, because you just seeing me don't mean I wasn't there. And, and I realized that I understood bikes were art. And why am I pleading with people to get in their shows? I'll just do my own and, and, and present it as art. Now, the shows that did invite me out was like, wow, you know, to go to Born Free was like, man, this is crazy, you know, what Grant and Mike have done, or Fuel uh, was to be at Mama Tried last year, but as the world shut down, so did shows. But I said, I'm going to do a show that's like organic, you know, because if you go to a, a museum, you know, you can go and walk through where they got armor from, you know, whatever, and 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 documents and so forth. And you go to different parts of the museum and you 
you you're in a museum, but you're seeing all these different collections. So you can come to the damn show, Detroit Antique Motorcycle Show, and go over and see a four-cylinder, right, Henderson or Indian, and then turn, spin right around and see a Sandcast 750 Honda CB, you know. Um, walk a few more feet and see some crazy stretched-out Triumph pre-unit. That's kind of sketchy, but the guy rode it to the show. Uh, one pristine that the guy won't even kick over. He just brought off a trailer, and another one that's just as ratty and oily because... It's it's the display of the thing that they put into that. And I tell people that's why we don't judge the show. You win by getting the invitation. Mm. Somebody <laughs> a few months ago said, you know, I'm going to bring a bike to your show. I said, oh, well, it's an invitational. You have to be invited. Well, can I send pictures and they go before the committee? You're talking to the committee. It's the <laughs> committee of one, you know. Oh, wow, it's my show. That's why it's called Detroit. It's possessive. And I don't do that with a degree of arrogance. I just do it trying to get folks, as you noted, to see it as art. So you come to the show, get invited. Um, No points, no awards, no trophies. There are awards given to what we call legends, you know, uh, called the damn legend award. So we give a street legend. It's a guy that's a serious street racer that nobody knows about, but we found out. Uh, we give an enthusiast award, and we give um, legends who've been in the game a while. And then when the show is over, everyone that brought their art to our one-day museum uh, receives a, a ring. They get a class ring. Like, oh, that's cool. Go to the Super Bowl, you win, because you won by getting an invite and bringing your bike. And when you look at a Super Bowl and people are talking, and or NASCAR, NHL, and you see them talking and they show their ring, Around the world, somebody's going to be sitting in a bar, you know, or at a wedding or picking up their kid from school. And somebody's going to notice their ring and they go, man, what damn class were you in? I was in second damn class, <laughs> you know. What? Oh, yeah, I was in the second show. I brought a such and such. And it will be, again, that universal language. Oh, that guy got a damn ring. Now, with that being said, you can come to our show and you can buy stuff, damn hats, damn pants, damn socks. It's the only time you can get close to nearly cursing me out without getting punched in the chops. So. <laughs> Give me a damn hat. What did you say? I'm wearing the damn shirt right <laughs> you, now. You are. You, you rocking it. You know. My favorite shirt. That damn shirt. And that is D-A-M, not with the N. In case my, case my pastor's listening. <laughs> how many How many of those have you done? What's And when's the next one? So um, we are on our third official one. Um, and the next one is September the 11th. <clears throat> we had initially scheduled it for 11th, then we moved it, and I apologize to the 18th and back to the 11th. Some of the legends we, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, some of the legends we want to honor couldn't make the 18th, and as much as we think it's about the bikes, it's about the people. So it's September the 11th. Um, it's going to be in Detroit. Uh, that will always be the home base. Uh, and however, when I say home base, we will eventually have shows, which was going to happen this year. It won't. We're going to have uh, pop-up damn shows around the world. So you can have damn Tokyo, uh, damn London, uh, damn L.A., damn San Francisco. You know, I call that motorcycle community. Get bikes to show up. People come in and then they'll migrate for that big show in Detroit and see 
where it started and, and, and get to understand when we say organic. Uh, but yeah, September 11th, come on out. And here's the kicker. If you know, you know. If you don't, you'll find out after it happens. <laughs> you know, that's organic. You know? I love, you don't advertise necessarily. Yeah, yeah. You know, the those shows are important. Um, for one, especially in those cities. I used to live in Seattle for years and those gatherings keep the fires burning. Yeah. Especially when you're around that energy and you see what other people are doing in a different genre. I, I love choppers, but I also really love, you know, I love old Yamahas, old Hondas, yeah. dirt bikes. Those were my first introduction to motorcycles and I, I get a sense of nostalgia about those and they've become popular again and people are making these modifications to them that I'm like, man, I got to got to get back on that yeah like you saw in my garage i got the yeah. engine pulled out of the xt i'm gonna do all these things that i've seen people do but i get those ideas from those shows that you 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 know that, that's a home run right over the center field grand slam because people go to the shows looking for a certain thing just go to the shows and look yeah you know when you talk about mama try when you talk about born free you talk about uh ton up and, and ypsilanti we talk about uh, the one, um, the damn show, uh, uh, fuel Cleveland, uh, 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 uh splitting lanes, uh, the show out of New Jersey. Um, uh, you, you see this eclectic mix. When I got invited to born free, I mean, I was shook. Like, nah, bro. <laughs> you sure you calling the right guy? <laughs> and I was like, we like what you do. We like your enthusiasm. So I'm trying to like go back and look over Born Free 1 through 10. Like, okay, okay. This is, this, I'm not on this level because folks say they're builders and then some of those builders say other people aren't builders. I'm just who I am, you know. So I don't know if I'm a builder, an artist, a dreamer. But I know... I was buying choppers. I wasn't building choppers. And then an email was sent to all the invited builders, uh, Mike and, and Grant. Their genius was, just do you. And it's like, you know, just build the bike you want to bring. And I'm like, oh, I'm I'm a pre-30 guy. So brought some tricked-out Henderson, you know, and that was that. And then, of course, I get to the chopper scene. I'm like, I got to build a chopper, you know. <laughs> so I went out and... And, and scored some stuff, and I'm just waiting for that next invite. Hello, Grant. Hello, Mike. I'm just saying. Just checking just, in. Just checking in. So <laughs> I got this crazy part for a pre-unit just sitting there. And so, but it does. It give you. It gives you that spark. Uh, you know, sadly, we have seen some some catastrophic fires around the world. But like as this historian researcher, I always I'm like. Where did the first spark start that burned down a hundred thousand acres, right? It's the same when we're building, the same when you look at your bike in the garage, you know, what spark to put this shifter on or what spark. Uh, I'm always cautious when folks say, I don't look at anybody else's bike. It's all in my head. That's just not true. It's impossible. It's impossible. We're on this 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 path where we see things even if it's not in our foreconscious that influences us so hermeneutically we are connected to all of the things we experience right 
And if you think of life as uh, the, the body of the camera and your experiences as the lens, so every time you push that button to capture the picture, it's filtered through all the stuff that's in your life experiences, the lens, right? So I always, I used to tell builders, I don't anymore because grown folks get to do what grown folks want to do. <laughs> but I used to say, nah, bro, I get what you're saying that it came from you, but it's this universal thing that we're just doing and you might have picked something up and people are like, no, people aren't original anymore. That's the new thing, right? People aren't original. That's just, that's. Nothing's original. Nothing. Go make a motorcycle with square wheels. Now yep. you're original. <laughs> We talk about just do your thing, and that you know, it's gotten competitive. Yeah, and we're knocking each other. That's what just I mean. That does kill me that, too. That gets my goat. Well, any goat farmers, please do not call me. <laughs> <laughs> but that gets my goat, and I'm gonna find out what that actually means. But anyway, that gets my goat because I'm at events and and I'm watching folks and listening to folks looking at other people's bike that they put their blood sweat and tears the person's right there smiling because you're looking at their bike and because that's their moment that's their moment and, and because you are this great metal smith and you've been doing this 50 years you say yeah i would have never done that that's you see when you look at this line here and and what i would have done is hammered instead of rolled and i would have welded differently and i would have brazed and i'm going and then you see this whole this guy whole or gal whole continents change yeah and i'm like man this is how we killing the spirit and then we keep wondering why young cats not getting into this yeah we're not even embracing them and just hugging them and saying you know, nice sled. And if you don't think it's a nice sled, don't say it. You know, it's like a pretty baby. It's a pretty baby. Oh, you got a beautiful baby. If it ain't beautiful, don't say that's a beautiful baby. It'll grow into <laughs> it'll grow into beauty. Just don't say nothing. You know, and hopefully down the road is a pretty child. But so, <laughs> anybody with an ugly baby, I'm sorry. And so, <laughs> so, so we have to be really cautious of this thing that's happening in the motorcycle community. As you said, this one-upsmanship where we're trying to one-up. No, just get out and ride. And if my bike uh, break, if the bike break, help me fix it. That's the you thing. Know. You're not riding enough if you're getting competitive and bit, yeah. bitter. Yeah. And uh, you'll re you'll reset if you go out and ride with these people. But and first of all, like everybody's entitled to their opinion. That's I right. understand that. But like if you're on the grass anywhere at a bike show. You've kind of made it. You made it. You should be proud of that. Even if you're there, you're showing this bike and you had 10 people help you, you know. Um, so I have Detroit Antique Motorcycles and I have Detroit Motorcycle Union. And, and, and Detroit Motorcycle Union, I'm trying to make it this collaborative, right? I mean, I, I know very few people that can do, do A to Z. Paint, build, lace, uh uh, everything yeah well i know and i know one or two cats that can do that mm -hmm. you know and even they get inspired i know one guy he was so frustrated with a seat and he was trying to make his own seat pan and i went back and i saw his bike i was like wow that's crazy and he was like yeah i looked in a magazine and i saw this particular style and i'm like ah you know good you're inspired so it's very few people that don't need people matter of fact no one can get through life without needing people so when you get on the grass i always tell people thank people for, yeah. for having gotten you there because you have made it you you actually have 
made it. Um, and I tell folks, they all say, oh, man, I can't believe I'm, I'm chatting it up with you and you're inviting me. Nope, I'm just a guy that play with motorcycles. I'm glad that you, you know, let me chat it up with you, you know. You made a good point. Like, you love the people. Yeah. The bikes are, they're a byproduct of that. Yeah. And it, they change you, too. Yeah. And <clears throat> I've, I've gone through an arc. I've gone through an arc, I guess, with, with all of this and started in garages you know in, in Kansas and I it took me to other cities and then other cities took me to other cities and all of those stages in my life I wouldn't trade them for anything and they were all yeah. different bikes yeah and they were all different people it was this it was a beautiful road yeah when you when you treat the bike as a magnet you know forget the bike as a bike this utilitarian tool this tool that we just you know and look at it as a magnet and what it's going to draw to you, right? When I think about the people I've met, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, we met a year ago, I'm sitting here, and, you know, we were eating oranges and tangerines <laughs> at my crib a year ago, right? You know, and you're always supposed to say, how did I get here, right? And so when you start thinking about what the bike has done for you, uh, I, you know, somebody gave me a bike, and then 39 Indian Ford, which is crazy, long story. That is a you good know, story, yeah, by the way. Yeah, they, they gave me the bike. Being uh, I was being nice to him. They gave me the bike. Didn't know what was happening. I'll talk about it in a second. But the person said, um, I can see you love these bikes. You know, I said, no, it feels like it. I really love the people, you know. I mean, when you think about the people that have come into your life for bikes. And this is for all bikes. I always tell people, just sit back and just think about, I mean, and you think about how you grew up, right? I'm around some cats, man, that got some very, very, very uh, set in their ways views on all the spectrum, all across the spectrum, right? But they're with folks that they would have never been with if it wasn't for bikes. I mean, yeah. I broke bread with people that I knew would have chased me and would have been shooting at me and then having to watch the door because I would have came back. But anyway, <laughs> I, I digress. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that nerd gangster. <laughs> so, oh, that's a good book, The Nerdy Gangster. You better start writing that. I better that. start, you know, for someone out there, y'all can write it. Just give me, <laughs> give me credit. But it is really the bikes that are draw the people to you. I mean, I'm telling you, I can show you my resume and you'll be like, who is this cat? I mean, it's stacked. I mean, my resume is stacked and I don't even use it anymore. You know, I got degrees from some of the best universities, not in the country, in the world. I can go anywhere in the world and mention where I got my undergrad and master's from and everyone would recognize that university, right? Um, let, I, me, let me ask you this. Let me yes. stop you right there. Were bikes a part of your life when you were at Harvard? Uh, yeah, they've always been part of my life. I just wasn't riding uh, because, you know, I couldn't afford them. And yeah. So when I was growing up. Because you were paying for your yeah, doctorate. Yeah. <laughs> still paying still for paying it. Still paying for that stuff. <laughs> you know, playing with bikes and you know, spending all my money. Matter of fact, somebody out there low me $5. <laughs> so, no, I was I – was, a straight up hot rod guy I had got rid of all my cars and you know I got out services fell on hard times uh was homeless for about a year uh, 
stepped in my car a few times. Um, and it's like, even now, even saying that, like, man, how did I get here? You know, this guy got $2 a day to eat, you know, uh, and was set on not getting, well, not having any subsidies. I am not one of them guys that say, no, I'm making on my own. I don't need any government money. I done gave them enough taxes. You can give me some money, my money back. <laughs> yeah, right. So I need people to stop saying that. But no, I didn't get any Especially money. Especially in California. <laughs> Especially oh. in California. Matter of fact, give me some property, but we won't yeah. go into that. And so, how, about, how about you just let me keep a little more of my own money? <laughs> you don't you know, have to give me anything. Look, I, I'm about to, I'm telling people I'm going to the sticks. I'm going to be the black grizzly adult. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, when I was there, um, uh, it was, I didn't have any toys, you know, I had to eat, and I was a single parent, and sneaking my kids into class, and I've shared this before in some interviews and so forth, but it was like, I'm not going to be here, you know, I used to hear preach, where you are is not where you're going to be, where you're going to stay, right, and so, those things that I wanted as a kid, um, I started getting mini bikes and so forth, mother wasn't letting us get uh, anything with power on it and I don't know if it was affordability or this sense of safety and but we would sneak off to the burbs and go to the place and look at dirt bikes and all of that and hang out and be called racist slurs and we rush and get on the bus and get back to the city right it's, it's part of the fabric and so um, when I finally got to the place I just graduated I went Got a swing crate. Couldn't get a swing crate. I mean, think about it. In 1971, a swing crate was $125. Do you know you could have bought a knucklehead for a few more hundred dollars, right? That's wild. You know, and so I finally got that and then uh, got some mini bikes and then I went up to scooters and I got some rare scooters from Salisbury uh, Imperial Rocket best scooter in the world 1946 to 1947 <laughs> made in Pomona California uh, pretty limited run there pretty limited run and so then it moved up matter of fact my Salisbury conversation helped me buy that first Harley I spoke of from the guy that I saw a year later because I was looking at his Salisbury and he said uh, you like that I said, yeah he said rare scooter I said I know no, they were made in Pomona, California. He said, oh, you know Salisbury? I said, yes, sir, I, I got two. He says, no, 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 not possible. He's probably a Cushman. I said, no, it's Salisbury. And he was like, no, 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 there's no, they think a thousand was made, and they think only 600 exists. I said, well, sir, I don't know where the other 598 are, but <laughs> two of them are at my house. I was like, what? And so uh, I found out he had three, got his number, lost his number, and I found it by going to the Salisbury Club registry and looked up Michigan who had three Salisbury's and called called Kurt. Kurt and I began to talk and I had saw he had a twenty nine Harley and then that's how uh I, I got it. And so yeah, that graduation of finally getting some some degrees, you know, I I, I joke with people, yeah, I went to Harvard so I can buy more cars and motorcycles, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I did my undergrad and my master's there and then went on and got a doctorate. And most people don't know that. So you can call me Dr. Detroit, you know. I kind of want to. Hey, listen, you know, the motorcycle scene, nobody want to hear about some cat with four Ivy League degrees, you know, but I got them. And I got them, honestly, I don't use them anymore in a formal sense. 
uh, yeah, I could have did enough work and stayed on course and maybe become the education secretary of the country. But really at the root of it, uh, my father went to eighth grade. You know, he told me the story how he just wanted to go to school, but they had almost 200 acres in Hawkinsville, Georgia. You ain't go to eighth grade when you farmer. Yeah. And my mother went to the 11th grade. She lived in Dodge County, uh, Eastman, not too far from uh, Hawkinsville, Georgia. And I go down there and see the house that my dad built with his father and then up the road with the house he built for my mother. And then I realized this guy was smarter than me, smarter than most people I know. And I said, but in honor of them, I'm going to get the highest degrees I could. Do you think in their lifetime that they they suffered because they didn't have that education or do you think they were pretty well off knowing as much as they did and oh, making their own way? Excellent, excellent question. They were well off. I mean, they had to work. You know, yeah. you go to Detroit, they 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 were part of the second great migration of black folks leaving from the south, heading north. So here, here it is, the 40s, 50s, they, they head north because the people left, some of their family left and went up. No one ain't had his degree, right? So I asked my pops, I was like, pops, you know, I know you got this job at Pepsi. Did you get that right away? No, no, I got here. I worked at Ford. I was cleaning paint barrels. And I was like, what? My dad worked for one of the big three. Because in Detroit, you know you're going to make it. All you need was a high school degree or no high school degree. You can work for the big three. And I'm like, wow. Then I got two brothers that now work for the big three. My sister just retired from Chrysler. But I know it had to do with looking at my father's tenacity. So my brother just started at Chrysler. Uh, he's 58. And they were betting. He was working the line. They were betting how long he would make it. Mm. He'll make it a week. He'll make it a month. Because working the line is for, for young yeah, spring chickens, right? Yeah. And so I said to him, man, he said, I'm making it. I said, yeah, look at the lineage we come from. you know. And so when my parents came south, they just had to make it. And then they moved. We we lived uh, down river. So down river is Delray, uh, Trenton, uh, uh, Lincoln Park, because you're near the river. And you know, uh, Kia Rock sings about it. Other you know, you know, just kid growing up in Detroit, whatever. So grew up in Detroit, Delray, and my father was happy with Delray, and my mother was like the characters from Raising in the Sun. She was like, nope, my kid's not gonna grow up. In, in Delray, because my oldest brother had succumbed to drugs, right? Mm. He was battling that. And she, I don't know what made her get in the car and move to the west, drive to the west side. She found a house. And my father told the story up to his passing. Said, if it wasn't for your mother, because he didn't want to leave Delray. That was his spot. Moved to the west side of Detroit, you know? And I'm looking like, wow, white people, you know? Yeah. And black people living together. Because I'm in Delray, where it was like, this is rough. And yeah, we moved to the west side, and it, it was their tenacity. It, I remember thinking my father couldn't read because he only went to the eighth grade. I don't know what I was thinking. And so we're watching him, and I remember when he moved up and finally he let his license uh, lapse. That's what we said back then, but he was riding dirty, right? <laughs> so no license. And studying the book and going to take the license, the, the test. And I'm like, man, these folks were tough. So I think it made them better because they knew what they had to adjust to offset that thing. Some of my friends who are uh, tool and die makers, uh, I've been with them and they'll say, read this for me. Like, 
read this one. Okay. And they'll say, I'm dyslexic. Mm. But they're like Einstein's with math. So they compensate it. Yeah. They can, they have what I call mechanical brains. They can take something apart and put it back together without having to look at all these notes because they have a mechanical, say they offset. So it just makes sense to them. Yeah. And so for my parents, yeah, they, they worked hard. They had no complaints. And uh, my dad aspired to have a dream of, you know, having a nice house and a serious caddy. And before he died, he knew he was sick, knew he was terminally ill. Took a chunk of cash out the bank and went and bought a Cadillac. And my sister, my older sister, who's now the matriarch, Dorothy, was like, I wish Dad would have just leased it instead of putting the money down in. But my father taught us to own stuff, right? Good man. He would have knew it wasn't his. And he wanted that caddy. And he had it. Then, on his deathbed, he was like, you know, you are going to decide what you're going to do with the house. I don't think my father sounded like that, but it gives more. Decide <laughs> <laughs> so what you're going to do with the house. And whoever can afford the Cadillac can have it. Needless to say, we gave the caddy back because uh, I couldn't afford the note. So, yeah. that <clears throat> That's a wild story, man. And that's probably where you get your, I don't know if you consider yourself centered, but you get a balance. You start where you start, you end up where you end up. Like, everything's relative in between yeah, yeah that's it, it all matters it all matters the guy calling me out of my name <clears throat> excuse me the falling in love the your kids hating you you know makes me who i am right in this moment right so my daughter my oldest daughters uh i was being my father, to me, I was being to her. She wanted to do something. I says, no, we, we don't do that. We're Haywards. We don't do that. And she was like, uh, what? I said, no, I'm your father. You're not doing that. And so and this was just when texting started, and I was like <laughs> figuring it out. And obviously she was too, because when you hear this, you go like, she didn't figure it out. She sends a text. I hate my father with all my heart, oh, all no. my soul. I, she thought she'd send it to her girlfriend. <laughs> she sent it to me. You know what? I text her back because I don't. I've never played fair. Yeah. My mother used to teach me. Worst thing somebody can do to you is spit on you. If they spit on you, try to kill them. <laughs> and so when she's telling us any any weapon works, right? So I've never fought fair. You know. Dude, that's a great. Yeah. That's a Listen, that's a great saying. Any yeah. weapon works. Any weapon works. So, and words are weapons. Yeah, because my daughter had just cut me. I couldn't look. I couldn't look like I was bleeding, but I was bleeding on this side. Oh, and so, but this is how I cut her back. I texted her and said, "You hate me, the same father who took you to Paris for your graduation present." Yeah, don't play with me, Todd. I right below the belt. So this ain't no official boxing match. I will punch you in your organs. No, so I'm never having a daughter. <laughs> yeah. But it was the best thing in the world because that made me and we crack up about that now. <laughs> we crack up. And I tell her, your kids matter of fact, her her daughter, uh last year's five, and she's going off just being five. And buckle up. You know, yeah, my daughter Jasmine was like, Khalees, Khalees. And I'm like, you new generation parents, go and pop that kid. She was like, no, Dad, I don't do that. I said, okay, okay. And when you finally pop her, she's going to be like, I hate you with all my soul. 
and I didn't know I was on speaker. Oh. So my granddaughter was like, no, <laughs> Pops hates me. <laughs> yes, she's in counseling right now, and it's costing me $125 an hour. She's not in counseling. So, <clears throat> so, so, so texting got your daughter and speakerphone got you. It's all oh, these damn phones. It's man. what you said. It's relative, right? <laughs> it, it was my moment, but all of that made me who I am right now. Uh and we all have stuff. We all got baggage. We all have this thing we got to carry. The question is, how do you deal with it? As I was saying the other day, uh, you and I heard it said, you, you cannot control the past. It's gone. You can start to plan for the future, but you still got to do that right now in the moment, right? And... That's the hardest thing because the mind, man, will jam you up, right? You know, as as I heard it preached, it's not the enemy, it's in a me. I N dash A dash M E. It's in a me. When you find out you're the person that's going to hold you down or get you going. Now, don't get me wrong, the isms of the world suck and they do jam you up. So, don't have folks calling me talking about you saying this ism isn't real. No, I'm black. I, are you kidding? You know, <laughs> don't come for me. Somebody told me I'm so glad you're not political. What are you talking about? My very existence is political. <laughs> me being here, surviving is political. I can give you some stories of being roughed up because I was a not nosed black kid for no other reason than that. I was in the Air Force. I came home on leave, and the police pulled me over and was yelling at me. And I was like, sir, sir, no, 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 I don't do that. I don't even drink. I'm a veteran. I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i I'm an active duty. I don't care about that. And he slams me against the car, right? You know? This and is in so, Detroit? This is in Detroit. So I tell people, the isms don't, don't try to act like they don't exist. However, once we know that, what do you do? So if you are up to bat and you know Nolan Ryan is pitching, right? You know, or Dave Winfield, somebody's getting ready to really throw some heat. You should have studied the tape. That's a good point. You should have studied the tape. So if you know Nolan Ryan and throws it inside and it comes out as a curve, starts inside and comes out, step out the plate slightly, catch it on the inside. Or tighten up because you're not going to get hit because it's going to come out as a curve. We, we're not prepared for that thing we face. And then we make it about just these crazy choices. What? What? You only like Harleys? I, I don't like you. I like crotch rockets. I only, you only like crotch rockets? I only like Hondas. No, man, just, you know, go with that thing that's right in front of you. And then make your adjustments accordingly. So, yeah, you know, it, it made my parents better. It's made me better. And got my granddaughter in counseling because she thinks I hate her. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she's not in counseling. She, and she loves motorcycles, so she's good. She's set. Yeah, she's set. Anybody yeah. who's got you as a grandparent is going to be set, man. Yeah. You bring a lot to the table. Thank you. You know, I used to want to punch people when they call me grandparent, you know, but I'm like, yeah, I'm a grandparent because... I'm still having a hard time believing that, but hey, I met your family and I get it. Yeah, I yeah, get it. yeah. You know, and they, they keep me young, but... Growing up in Detroit, right? So my mother was so smart. So she used to always say, the Haywood boys look good with pepper, you know, uh, gray hair. So I couldn't wait 
to get some grades. Then the first grade popped in. I'm like, nah, I'm going to get some just for men, you know, which is not cool because you'll be on the news and that die will run down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For any Giuliani fan out there, I'm sorry. And so, <laughs> so I didn't do just for men. So I just let it. It just turns great. But then I realized, being still in the urban environment, I was glad to see some gray come on because the the urban scene is still crazy and I was glad to see that the younger cats knew I was moving to the OG status and I ain't trying to step on anybody's territory so the OG status just gives you a little respect not to have some young cat challenge you you know I'm I'm like I'm you know I'm Simba you know wait you, did Simba get killed did he get thrown out the club no no uh, Mufasa. Mufasa Mufasa I'm I'm Mufasa but I'm looking out for Scar you yeah. know <laughs> yeah so do you think I don't know is there is there a lot of people like you doing what you do right now it is and we just got to figure out how to shine the light cuz you and I wouldn't be together if we weren't doing the same thing. That's true. Energy attracts energy, right? And and positive energy attracts positive energy. And negative, that's what took me a long time to get out of my system. Always complaining about the world. Because it's not fair. I mean, world is not fair. Okay, so what you going to do about it? Nolan Ryan's on the plate. He's the world. So what you going to do? You're going to get up and back. You learn know? where to swing. Yeah, learn where to swing. And so, but there's more good people than bad. You know, um, showed my daughter that recently. You know, uh, I tried to put my 15 year old out the other day. I love my girls, they crack me up. So, 15 year old is tough, she's really tough because she's in this world where the world shut down. So, I told her to come to a car show with me, and she was like, No, yeah. I was like, It's gonna be our first California car show. She was like, No, I don't like cars and I don't like motorcycles. I'm like, who are you? And get out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so, my 19 year old went off to live her last year high school with her grandmother in Fresno and it just made her so much more ready for the world and brilliant right but as the unrest began to happen in the country because we're in our we're in our third or fourth civil rights movement we're witnessing it right so here this these these uh, protests happen around the country and my daughter is depressed as I am you know and I said, I'm going downtown to uh, to this protest at the police station. And she said, can I go? I said, absolutely. I'm going to take you for two reasons. I'm going to take you to show you there's more good people than bad. And I'm going to take you how to read the streets. Now, my kids think I'm a nerd. Mm. She's like, read the streets, Dad. Please. <laughs> You're not hip. So she runs off. She gets some boards and she starts making her sign, stop killing us, Black Lives Matter. You know, we deserve to live. And I'm like, look at my baby. Mine <laughs> and Angela Davis. But we're going downtown. So we go downtown and we park like a mile away. She's like, why are we parking so far? I said, because when they jump off and people start running, the people that park close to their cars, they're they not get getting stuck. in. Yeah. They're stuck. <laughs> and she was like, okay, okay. So we go down. And every police officer I spoke to, I needed her to see that. Uh, she's like, Dad. I said, listen. Every police not bad, just the system is corrupt. So if you speak to them, it makes them question their own moral. That's what Martin Luther King was a brilliant guy. Yeah, I'm gonna let you punch me and spit on me, and I'm not gonna hit you back. It makes you eventually question your moral fiber, right? So we're speaking, we're speaking. Then she looked and was like, here we are in Detroit, 
And it was all kind of people down there. She was like, well, I said, I keep telling you, there's more good people than bad. And then <laughs> we're down there, and this one officer comes up and just starts shoving people and clowning. And before you knew it, I was over talking to his commander. I don't know what happened. I blacked out. Mm. I was on the sidewalk with my daughter. I told her what side to, side to stay on in case we had to run. I said, if I start running, I'm not going to yell run. You just start running. But all of a sudden, I was on the sidewalk, and next thing you know, I was in the street talking to this commander. I said, get your guy. These young kids, man, they were waiting for this kettle to explode. Right. Get your guy. I said, we know y'all are not out here knocking heads. Get your guy. You, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. And so... It just kept surging, so I told my daughter it's time to go. She said, nah, Dad, this is hype. Now she's 19. I said, no, this thing, this kettle's about to that explode. Lit. And I was wearing my cool cowboy boots. I knew I couldn't break wide in no cowboy <laughs> boots. So, <laughs> so I was like, it's time to go. I'm too old to be fighting, and I'm too old to be fighting with people who don't know what cause they're fighting for, right? Now, yeah. I'm not saying that's all, folks, but some people are just agitators. And so we left. Two hours later, a guy was killed. Yeah, you know, uh, the thing broke wise, cars and all that. And she was like, Dad, how did you know? I said, how do you think I survived Detroit? You got to know how to read that moment. You know, and we all have it in us. I don't care if you grew up out in the sticks in Iowa. We don't, people have forgotten how to get in touch with themselves and let your energy connect to somebody else. You know when bad energy show up. And so... That's what makes us sit here right now. You know, my kids got on me, man. He was like, Dad, you got people coming by. You was letting nobody. I said, these motorcycle people, you know, they can come on in. You know, I made them clean up, too. <laughs> it's it's an emotional mechanism. Like, in the, we're talking about some people are mechanically minded and, you know, they're strong in math, bad in wor with words. Uh <clears throat> But you can recognize in someone a direction and an impulse and know what that will lead to. And, I mean, that just comes with age. It does. Uh, uh, Howard Gardner was this guy, is this guy, who talked about multiple intelligences. We have to get in tune with that. And somebody told me a long time ago, man, your ability to understand people and care for people like, well, okay, what is that? And they're like, that's a degree of intelligence a lot of people don't have. And I was socially awkward, you know. I was an introvert, you know. I mean, now I get paid to stop, talk, you know. As a principal, I was paid to talk, you know. I, I, I got, I, I have a fee. If you want me to be a keynote speaker, I get paid to talk. But I was just introverted person. But during that time, it let me lay back in the cut and read people, right? So do you think that's where it developed, just being an introvert? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you have to really figure out who you can align with. And the thing about being an introvert, you can ask 99% of introverts going to tell you this. You know how we mask it? By appearing to be extroverts. Mm. I, I still have these awkward nuances of walking into spaces. I used to go to class, and I used to think I was the best student because I would show up early. I just didn't want that feeling of walking in in front of everybody. Yeah, everybody looking at me, you know, right. almost forgetting how to walk. And so, yeah, when you develop that, it lets you, you know, I know when folks don't like me. I know, I know, and I know when they don't know that, why they don't like me, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm too old to be <laughs> trying to 
dance to somebody else's music, you know. Uh, everybody should figure out their tune and dance to it. And so, uh, but you still read it, you know. Uh, and the other thing, when you just try, because nobody is, when you try to be your authentic self, and the reason why I say that nobody is, we're always discovering who we are. So are we really authentic? No, we're trying. So when you try to be your authentic self, it makes people recognize that. I'm not talking about when you're hustling. I'm not talking when you're trying to, this guy wants 15000 for this bike, but you're trying to get it for ten. That's the dance. We all should be hustling, you know. And we're going to settle somewhere where we're both happy. I'm not talking about that. That's the dance. And my wife should say, just pay him. No, we enjoy the dance, you know. <laughs> I'm going to get it for Fourteen thousand nine hundred twenty-eight dollars. Yeah, I there's say there's a process here. <laughs> there's a process, yeah. but that sense of being uh, around folks and reading the moment, yeah, came from laying in the cut. Uh, then came from having to be on guard with my brother, who would literally escape from the mental institution and they would call your brother got out my brother didn't get out the bus rides right onto the property and he got on the bus and you all weren't watching he was in this one mental institution Northfield the bus literally rolled up to the property and would pick up the workers I mean the, 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 the public transportation and and if they got out the facility and had changed they would just get on the bus and the thing about people who suffer from mental illness they're some of the best people pretending what sanity looks like because they know they maybe have a different sense of reality, right? And so that kept us on the guard. You know, a brother coming home and, and, and terrorizing us and not knowing he's terrorizing us. You know, I used to have people tell me, I don't trust you, you don't drink. But they would never ask me why I didn't drink. And no, they didn't ask me why I didn't drink. And I didn't tell anybody, I was embarrassed, you know, that my brother did every drug under the sun. They didn't, they didn't ask. And then I started telling people when I got comfortable with me, I don't drink because I watch my brother succumb to all that, you know. Imagine you sitting at your crib, you're some 14, 15-year-old kid watching Twilight Zone or whatever you're watching, the Flintstones. <laughs> Good time, that was it. <laughs> and your brother, who just escaped from Bellevue or or Northville, is beating on the door. You know you're going to tear the door down if you don't open it. So you open it, and you realize he got off that bus, he made this journey, and he's looking for a fix, and in this case, it's alcohol. And we don't have any alcohol in the house because they already called us and warned us that he's coming. And so if there was, we hid it. And watching him go in the medicine cabinet and grab a bottle of rubbing alcohol and oh, drinking it, right? Grief. And then people had a guard to say, I don't trust you because you don't drink. You don't know me, you know? I don't drink because I, I watched my brother drink rubbing alcohol. I watched my brother do stuff that, you know, made me go, eh, I don't want to lose myself to that. Now, I, I take a drug. Don't get me wrong. It's motorcycles. It's, it gives me the same high. It, it gives me the same high, I'm sure, that the endorphins that was released. <laughs> the difference is I'm not going to choke you out and rob you. No, oh, man. You know, well, unless you got unrestored 36 knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> There's exceptions. You better get to run it. I'm drinking <laughs> some rubbing alcohol and I'm coming for you. Bike, dog. <laughs> so, nah. You know, and that's the other thing, too, man. You got to laugh. You know, if you're not laughing, you're not living. You know, um, and that's that's the hard part. You know, my mother-in-law just passed and it was this sense of guilt because I'm sitting there with my wife, you know, and, and it was a week or so, 
and we're preparing uh, to lay it to rest. And some came up and we were laughing. And I'm having this cognitive dissonance because half my brain is like, wow, I'm glad we're laughing. And the other half is like, Mama V's not here. We shouldn't be laughing, you know. That's that authenticity that we struggle with. And so, and if we don't ask ourselves that question, it can drive us mad, you know, drive us mad. I've also realized that grief is, um, people are looking for permission to step away from it sometimes yeah. in a situation like that. And a smile or a laugh or a joke, respectively, gives them permission and it, it says to the, it says if nothing to the atmosphere that it's okay, you know, you can do this too. I know we all feel this way and we miss this person, but if they were here, they'd want you to, to do this too. Brother, listen, you could pack up and go live right now on the top of a mountain. People need to come up and see you. I mean, because really, <laughs> <clears throat> that degree of enlightenment, you know, and I did grief counseling. I never heard it uh, that way. That's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. I noticed... I noticed when um, when my parents passed away, unexpected loss, and and no one no one had time to process what had happened. Even right. me, like I almost didn't believe that it would happen. I right. got two caskets there in front of me, trying right. to figure figure out. Wait a minute, and you're you know you're supposed to behave a certain way, right? And I'm watching all these people, and I, they're walking around, and you know they're talking and greeting the family and I'm an observer I like to do that I've always I've always experienced things from the outside and I'm, I'm realizing I'm like nobody knows how to proceed here nobody yeah. and so finally after I said a few words I told everybody I was like hey you know mom and dad are right here they would want you to laugh and greet each other you haven't seen a lot of you haven't seen each other in yeah. five ten years like you can enjoy yourself too yeah yeah see man i'm telling you listen i'm gonna help you build a mountaintop and we're gonna go up there together well, yeah let's let's do that yeah, I let's get one out here yeah i i used to be able to fold my legs okay i don't know if it's arthritis so i won't be able to look like i'm i'm, I'm a guru but you're no, right we'll hill you climb know. up there okay. you won't even have to walk look i like it maybe we can float <laughs> but you you're hitting it out the park because we we keep making these mistakes to look for permission to grieve. I remember when my mother passed, right? You know, I knew she was sick. I didn't know it was imminent, the same with my mother-in-law. My father was different. He was uh, on hospice. But when my mother passed, I mean, it was like, are you kidding? And here I was at the funeral, not being able to breathe. Mm -hmm. So when people are passing the casket to pay their final respects to my mother, and then they do that first row family and they shake hands yeah. and going, I don't want to shake hands. And I can't breathe. People are hugging me. I can't even stand up. So now people are putting my face in their belly and hugging me. It's going <laughs> to be... Not helping. Yeah, it's going to be all right. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm rocking bow ties. I'm trying to take my tie off and I'm like, uh, I'm going to die at my mother's funeral. No one knows I can't breathe, right? And so what happened we debriefed after the funeral. So I do this even now, even now. I leave funerals when I go and I'm with a group of people that knew that person. We debrief and we look for the humor and we talk about the person, you know, and it's like <clears throat> amazing that process. Like here in California trips me out. So I'd never seen it until uh, 
my kid's grandmother passed, my wife's grandmother. That just happened. You know, well, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, their great grandmother. Yeah. So, but their grandmother just passed. So I hadn't seen this thing happen ever before about seven years ago. So I was thinking maybe that was a fluke. Maybe, maybe that's not going to happen again. So in Michigan, in every funeral I've gone to, Except for South, I heard that they have the casket closed and they open it up, then they close it again. Really? This is what we're going to do? We're going to keep re-traumatizing people. <laughs> so in Michigan, <clears throat> where I've attended 99% of funerals, you uh, go, the people come in and view, and then at the end, the only people that can come up is the family. And you say your final goodbyes to the vessel, to the body, not the spirit, the vessel. And then they close. The casket is very traumatic, right? Then you sit down. Then they continue with the program. And the healing starts immediately, right? The preacher eulogizes. They might have people do remarks. You know, unless your crazy uncle get up and just start saying stuff you didn't know about. Like, uh, I ain't know my mama did that. So, <laughs> so, so that's what I've seen. But here in California, right, is a whole different thing, uh, which is really... I processed it the other day, and I'm like, it's actually ingenious. So after they let the church do their final viewing, and my daughter is with some other folks, just couldn't go up. They didn't want to remember their grandma that way. But in this town, they then will not let the family get up because they know it's traumatic. And when anybody pass out, so they bring the casket over to where you're sitting. I'm like, no, no. This, why are we doing this? This is what I was saying seven years ago. So I was prepared for it this time, right? Right, right, right. And so afterwards, we debriefed. And so my 19-year-old was really going through. I mean, I went and talked to her. I said, yeah, but what's crazy? You was a trooper. I saw you hit that, that left flank, and you went and sat back down. And then they must have thought you was too strong, so they was going to bring grandma to you, right? <laughs> so we were able to laugh and we started talking about it because you're right. You know, we we shouldn't have to look for permission to grieve because if we don't grieve, uh, there's, there's scientifically researched on average, if you do not grieve within six to eight weeks, it turns to trauma. You know, they figured it out. The yeah. body's amazing and the mind. And so I always, I used to do, like I said, uh, grief counseling that we have to grieve and then men really have a problem because yeah. we have this society and you know and I'm not talking about blurring the lines of defining who we are you know but uh I can't cry I can't do this yeah go stub your toe on a coffee table <laughs> tell me it didn't hurt no it hurt you know I might fall out you know is I, that a tear right yeah <laughs> no, I got allergies and somebody has onions so. <laughs> but no I tell my kids all the time I cry and so forth you know uh, and I know when to be strong because, again, we were talking earlier about leadership. You know, I know when you have to have the armor of leadership so that you can move the troops along and then you find your private place to, to, to grieve. But it's important that people see your emotions as well, you know. Uh, my kids saw me cry when their grandmother just passed. You know, they saw me cry when their great-grandmother just passed. Uh, I'm looking at my wife who is like uh, traumatized when her mother got sick and she's getting on a plane, but now she has to make the calls to say, <sighs> mom is sick. And so, bruh, I got this. I, I got you, babe. I got you. I, I, no, I'll call your brother. Yeah. You, you. So I get the phone. 
and he sees his, his I should have called from my phone. That was my first mistake. Oh, so he, yeah. I called from her phone. And he said, hey, sis. It went down here from there. Uh, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, give me the phone. <laughs> so, so we right away we debriefed. She said, fool. <laughs> you, was, you were supposed to take care of me and I got to give me that phone. So we get to laugh about that. So like a few days later, you know, I apologize to the brother. He's like, no. I said, no, bro. I was supposed to be strong. And I, I lost it. He was like, yeah. I said, well, I know it's your mother, but it's my mother too. So I lost it. You know, he said, it's cool. It's cool. And so that part gives us permission. That part says, okay, it, you know, it's like riding bikes. You should be able to say what you can and can't do. Yeah. Most people get hurt on bikes because they pretend they're at a level they aren't. You know, uh, I was racing in uh, Florida, you know, uh, sun speed. I was at Trog. I'm gonna get faster, and so you know. But here I am at sun speed, and this is bank track, and folks fly. And my friend is there from Detroit. And after the race, he called me, man, you got you got to get a faster bike. I said, bruh, my bike is fast. It's decent. My talent don't match my speed. Right. He's like, what? Most people wouldn't admit that. Yeah, most people slam into the wall, <laughs> you know, choose the wrong line and get ran over. And I said, no. They're also 30 years know, old. That's right. You know, <laughs> and they, they heal up. And so that's just the same way of being able to recognize who you are, being able to recognize your grief. You make a really good point of saying, having that permission. And we don't give people that. And, and we don't even, this is where life is dangerous. You never know that person you're encountering, what they just went through. That's why I tell people, quit arguing and clowning people in the street. You know, we keep going, why did that person shoot that person in the parking lot over a parking space? They didn't. They just lost their job. Their wife said they're terrible. The kids said, "I, you know, I hate you with all my soul." No, I didn't shoot <laughs> And that person has lost all hope. Now, what if you'd have said, "I'm sorry, sir. You, you good. You, you know, it's a little closer. I find another parking space. Have a great day." Yeah, yeah. might have brought that person down from where they were that cliff. You know, man, especially right now, I feel like everybody's the fuse is short. Yeah. Why is it so short? I mean, I understand why it, it's the the division and the just the climate of everything right now but man if you could just take a minute and realize that we're all so much similar than we are different yeah but the care got lit even more not picking a side so leadership's important we've we've said that now couple picking a side with the world being shut down now I can't even interact with you to see that my beliefs about you are incorrect. Because the line's been drawn? Yeah, because the line's been drawn. Yeah. And then the pandemic f- forced people physically apart. True. And now I got my line drawn because if I think you're for this guy and I'm for this guy and we run into each other at a motorcycle spot, we ain't think about those guys. You know, that's what I tell people all the time. Why are we fighting over cats who are millionaires and don't even know nothing about knuckleheads. <laughs> Something's wrong with us, right? Yeah. And we out here fixing bikes and riding. But now you that gets exacerbated because we had to physically be separated uh, because of the pandemic. And then that cr- creates a psychosis. We are social creatures. We're one of the few species on Earth 
that cannot function cognitively without being engaged with each other. And people don't understand that. We're social creatures. They do a study. They did a study. I don't know if it's still going on. It's called Seven Up. And it, it was in Europe. And they went and interviewed kids who were seven. And these kids had all these dreams. Then they went back at 14, 21, 28, hence the term Seven mm-hmm. Up, right? Um, and they were so excited. And they, they interviewed this one guy. And he was 14. He was going to do all these great things. I think by the time they interviewed him at 21 or something, or prior to 21, he had moved out to the tundra. And he was by himself living in his trailer, right? No connections. And when they interviewed him, his cognitive and mental state was terrible. Uh, By the time they interviewed him again at the next cycle, the seven-year cycle, he had moved back and started working in his production theater and was around people, and he sounded so different. But they asked us to make a prediction in class. I said, if he continues to stay by himself, he will go mad. Uh, if he gets around people, and then the professor says, so you're saying people can heal people? Yeah, in some communities, yeah. You got to engage people, and sure enough, you saw improvement. That's why they say solitary confinement for an uh, uh, unnatural length of time is cruel and unusual punishment. Oh, man, yeah. Because we cannot define ourselves unto ourselves. We define ourselves against each other. Uh so now you have a pandemic where kids can't go to college and can't go to high school and elementary and middle school. And then you got workers who are working from home and we think we're connecting with people, but it's over a computer and we're not doing what we're doing sitting here. And so now add a fire keg into that of division or whatever. And so now it's like, man, and then you add people on that who know how to spark that. And so I try not to get into these political debates like i said somebody said i'm so glad you're not political i said are you crazy i'm not only political everything we do is political deciding if i'm going to ride my cage drive my cage today or my bike is a political decision what i'm going to eat so we have to stop saying i'm not political it all sends a message it does and that's what what politics does politics simply sends a message oh he drives a lexus and he's you know you know posh and you know okay it's a used lexus i don't drive lexus but (laughs) but you know, but I also tell people we have to study history, you know, and so what has happened, what was happening, which is so unfair, you know, regardless of who you pick, study history. And when we think about how people get into power and we have to be really careful of just saying, I want somebody who can lead and they don't have to have experience. That's 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 crazy. That's dangerous. You know, I'm gonna bring you my motorcycle to work on it. And you've never worked on a bike. Matter of fact, you don't even have tools. You got a pliers. You know, you know yeah, so can you figure it out? And then, cause I gotta take a 2,500 mile road trip and I believe you because you told me you're excited. No, no, nobody right now should send Detroit their engine to work on. You're going to get back parts. <laughs> so, you know, so I'm not going to sell you a wolf ticket. Uh, and in and, and our politics, sometimes that happens. And, and somebody got upset with me, a very close friend, because we're talking politics. And uh, I said, well, you know, you have to study the big lie because that's what, you know. And they said, oh, you're, you're against this person. I said, no, I'm talking about history. And then. We started talking about Hitler, you know, and and what he did. And one of the first things that he did was to discredit the press. Oh. And that's the period we're in right now. So the first thing, it was brilliant, right? So he, he gets convicted 
People don't know this. Went to jail for a second. He gets out. Then he has to make the thing that is about the people discredited. What makes America great isn't that we do the greatest things. It's not. I've lived in Korea. I've traveled to Paris. And, you know, I've gone to Munich, Germany. I've been to Italy, right? They do a lot of great stuff. But what makes us great is our free press. Yeah. That's what makes us great. People, democracy, democracy is your free press. It's, it's the ability for somebody to tell the story. Now, you have to research it to see if it's real. So once you discredit that, democracy is a wrap. Because right now, you and I can go to certain countries and, and go on Facebook and get arrested. You know, certain countries and, and, and say, I'm against your leader and you're thrown in jail, you know. Uh, you just disappear. Yeah. You disappear. I mean, right now in America, because you have freedom of speech, you know, somebody can do the how, how Hitler sign. You can't do that in Germany. You go to Germany and do it, you're getting arrested. <laughs> but we have the luxury of having some rights. And so when they start to get trampled upon, and I'm not talking about government overreach. We have to be very careful with these very blanket statements. I hate all Democrats. I hate all. Re- Stop saying that, you know. But. The first ploy is to make people uh, stop believing the thing that really gives us information, and that's the press. I'm not talking about entertainment news, which 99% of what we're watching is entertainment news. So, yeah, you know, I'm talking about that 1% that still simply tries to do investigative reporting, but those people are being crushed. So yeah, I, they're taking know. they're 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 spinning this disinformation yeah, they, and taking yeah. all the credibility from yeah. every, every bit of truth. Every bit of truth. So I listen to NPR. I've been listening to NPR since geez, since I was in Korea, uh, and it was just it didn't it it just gave you information and you had to go out. So now I don't care what you turn on, it's entertainment. Here's what's crazy, right? We try to scrape our nickels together and our dimes together to build bikes, right? And we talk about they're sketchy or they're not sketchy or they're tight and we ride, you know. You turn the news on and you get, uh, I ain't going to name any news program. It could be any. And these folks are selling you a wolf ticket. And then, and then no one stopped to say how much money they're making. You know, they're sitting up there making millions of dollars to get you riled up on one side or the other. You know, and so when... I try to have a balanced conversation. People get upset. Um, you know, people say, uh, are you conservative? Are you liberal? I'm just Detroit. <laughs> you know, I have some very conservative views and I have some very liberal views. And so uh, I always joke and say I'm moderately conservative. And then people say, oh, you must be a Republican. Oh, you must be a Democrat. You know, I don't, uh, you know. My mother taught me something. You don't go out here and telling people your politics, and don't go out here telling people who you're sleeping with. <laughs> you know, really, because you're gonna convince them that it's a cool thing, and they're gonna join your party, and they're gonna sleep with your woman. <laughs> you know, and so, so I just, you know, I try to really do some research and and stand on. Then I look at historical moments. You know, I applaud it that in this country we got our first vice president. That's that's criminal. After all these years, we finally got a woman. Uh, that's second in charge, you know. And people are like, ah, no, we're laughing stock. 
one of the few countries We're in the world. We're pretty late to the party yeah. here. And so I tell people, I'm not picking sides. I'm just saying, as a process, my three sisters, my mother, my grandmother, my three daughters are brilliant. They're stronger than men. They're smarter than men. Brothers, don't call me with this. I know they're going to call me. Detroit, you, you're a sellout. Okay. You know, I don't have to kiss you. and so but really they've proven scientifically that if we were given the same pain that a woman goes through at birth it would kill us so i can argue this i can prove scientifically they're stronger i'd rather die than try man listen listen i had i'm maybe giving too much information i passed a kidney stone ow and then i made the Stupid coming! Oh my God, this must be what it's like to have a baby. Yeah, it, it didn't go good. They were like, please don't say that again because that's just stupid. That's a pebble. What the hell are you talking about? So, so they prove it. They're stronger. And then when you talk about a sense of care, there's nurturance. You know, my girls tease me all the time. They come in the room, Dad. Hey, mom. You know, and I'm like, really? You know, <laughs> and my my son, my oldest son. I know if I was in a God forbid in a burning situation, and he's my man, he gonna step over me, get his mom. I'm like, I'll be back, Dad. I'll be back. You, you know, put a wet rag over your face. I'll be back. You know? <laughs> I, I didn't make it back, Dad. How did you get out? <laughs> Kill you, son. <laughs> so, so we we should be here's in, a glass of water, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it's warm. So, <laughs> so we should be really embracing. Um, uh, the strength of women and when I did that the person was like I you're for I didn't say I was for anybody I'm talking about in straight embracing the strength of women you know most of the men I know would kill if you did something to their mother you know and and, and they talk about how strong their mother was so why can't we say that about our female leadership you know and so I tell people nah I don't talk politics you know you don't want to talk I tell people all the time you don't want to talk politics with me you know, and I always tell them, if we talk politics, I'm buying, and we can sit there and break bread, because usually it'll come back to us just sharing a meal. You know, I have people I don't agree with, you know, but that's why people can't handle politics, and they can handle politics if you're forced to think, because right now, politics is, is uh, the political arena, uh, the government political arena is about not having you think, you know. And if we think, you know, I used to always joke and say, uh, man, if these students in these schools knew that they really outnumbered us, it's a wrap. <laughs> That's a good point. It's a wrap. So you got to walk around, get in line. I'm yeah. going to write you up and suspend you. Yeah. Here comes Mr. Haley, run, you know. And Stay so, on top of it. Yeah, but the, the revolution died and they was like, let's storm the principal's office. I'd be like, Jesus, help me. <laughs> so, but no, I'm not calling for a revolution. We saw that foolishness. And so, you know, even that, that was crazy, you know. I, I, I shed a tear that day. I cried because I was like, I've been to the Capitol. You know, a lot of people never visit our nation's Capitol. I mean, I've walked through the hallowed halls the Capitol. I was in that statutory room, that, that, that with statue, statue room. I was there. I've, I've gone on the floor. You know, I knew somebody who knew somebody. They let me go on the floor, right? Uh, I've been on Air Force One. Wow. Uh, uh, when I was in the Air Force. Uh, and so, these symbols, our bikes are symbols. <laughs> these symbols are important. And when we do the things that go against that that's crazy it was like uh friend was like yeah 
we're going to ride against this and that. I'm like, what are you talking about? The very whole essence of riding in motorcycle clubs is anti-culture. Don't be stupid. <laughs> Let me talk about I ride for the Democratic Party. I ride for the Republican Party. Just ride. Shut up. You know, that, just that, ride easy, know, man. That, that that's not even us. We're we're supposed to be. Even if you're not, you're supposed to be anti-culture. You know, and so, you know, we're the sub subculture, and, and it's American. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really an American thing like yeah. that that easy rider chopper thing that happened here that was ours yeah you know it's like i remember thinking about american uh uh institutions like motorcycles or jazz i I was thinking undergrad and i was like i'm gonna get an easy a because jazz is American music and started by black people i'm getting an easy a and it's traced back to spirituals and gospel and uh, I took the jazz class, and they were the professor said, "Tell me about your jazz artists." And people were naming people: Coltrane and Miles Davis and Dizzy. And I'm like, "These folks about to fail." They didn't say Anita Baker, Kenny <laughs> G. And my brother, I, so I never raised my hand. My brother was like, "I'm so glad he's a jazz person." He's like, "I'm so glad." That's called Kool Aid jazz, you know. That's <laughs> easy listening. And so when I sat in the class and was like, "Wow," again throwing yourself into the lesson. And so our institutions <clears throat> are, are should be studied, not not torn down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless they're unless they're violent. I mean, we're going through a time right now <clears throat> where we're self-correcting, and people are upset. We're supposed to get rid of everything. This is history. No, some stuff you got to self-correct. You know, and and then offer it as a teaching lesson. And so. You know, if your front wheel, your rear wheel got a wobble, you don't keep going and say, I've been riding it like that forever. No, you better self-correct and fix that. It's going to come off. You know? And even that's got a process. you got to measure things. you got to yeah. kind of take them apart, but constructively. That's right. Yeah, that's, it's a constructive you. deconstruction. Brother, when you open the Zen Nation, I will, <laughs> I will be up there serving tea. I'll be like, hey, We'll be there together, go. man. I'll be like, here you go. You know? <laughs> This has been an awesome talk. I'm I'm about to run out of cards, so I'm going to have to shut it down. But I'm just thrilled to have you here. And we're going to go for a ride today. Listen, folks, if y'all don't understand, if you're not riding with tar in the <laughs> desert, you're not riding, you know. Look, we're about to create a political party, the Todd and Detroit Party, TD. Join Let's us. Let's do it. Let's do it. You have to... Uh, we do take kickbacks. They're knuckleheads and pans. It's all. <laughs> or just gasoline. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. We're out here. Whatever <laughs> you can, whatever you can donate to the cause, we'll take it. Yeah, we'll do it. We're gonna have cool clothes too. If you're not wearing ties, uh, blue jeans, you're not wearing nothing. Matter of fact, <laughs> matter of fact if they're not wearing your gear, they should ride naked. You, <laughs> you <know>? said it. <laughs> it's only two types of riders: those that wear your gear and those that ride naked. You might as well. It's the armor you need. Absolutely, brother. No, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for letting me be in your space. The most valuable commodity is time, so thank you. So happy to have you here. Thanks, Detroit. Absolutely. All right. All right. What I tell you, what did I tell you? Dr. Hayward, my friend Randy, Detroit, thank you so much. That's meaningful, and I'm going to encourage people right now. Maybe you want to listen to that one twice, because there's a lot to remember in all of that. A lot of good little Easter eggs of wisdom. So thank you, Randy. I wish we had more time. And 
When you're out here next, we're gonna do it right. We're gonna ride, we're gonna shoot. We're gonna give it time, hang out with the family. It'll be great. I'm very excited to do that. So everyone, really quickly, let me thank you for making this show happen because all those little donations that you make or big donations, whatever thing, whatever encouragement you send this my way makes this show happen. It's kind of hard to pull off on your own completely just because it's time consuming. There's a lot to go through. I also have to have the timing line up with my guests and that gets compli- complicated sometimes, but we're making it work out and I'm finding a way to do it and you guys are helping me. Helping me way more than the networks, the studios, or all the fancy producer types that talk to me about doing it. They're all talk, man. You guys are showing. You're showing me that you're doers. And I'm going to keep doing it for you guys. And this is our show. Okay? Because I know there's a market. I know people want to see and hear real shit. It doesn't have to be celebrities. I got nothing about nothing against celebrities. But I think it's just a little silly that everybody thinks good content has to come down to people you see on TV. I'm bringing you real people with real stories that really matter. And I think that's what you guys want to see. I know it's what I want to see. So we're just going to make it ourselves. Fuck it. And really quickly, too, before we go, I got to let you know that I got products available on my store that help support this show. I got my denim collaborations with Telesin, which are quality denim products that look and feel badass, man. We put a lot of time into this and... They're all 100% made in San Francisco, USA, home of denim. And we put a lot of thought into it. And you're going to, you you can tell when you get a jacket or a shirt or a pair of jeans. And we've got more coming too. My book is also on sale there. So if you haven't got a copy yet, sign up. You won't be disappointed. But that's it. I'm going to get back to work on Josh Kahn's episode. It's looking really good. Which I'm excited to deliver. Hopefully very quickly after this one. Okay, guys. I love you. Thanks again. Be safe. Ride safe. And I'll see you on the road.